0: Hi everyone, it's James, and welcome back to another episode of Cross Wires, the technology podcast where we look at all sorts of tech and try and look at things from a different angle, as well as just what's cool and what's new. We look at how you can get the most of the tech you've already got. And today I have a wonderful guest um, who's going to talk to us a little bit about mobile videography, mobile editing, and how far video uh, camera technology has come and why actually our phones are now some of the best video cameras we can have. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stu Little. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, good to have you with us. Um, Thank you. So I reached reached out to you on, on Twitter, and I found you because um, one of the developers of the apps, that, one of the apps we're going to talk about, had sort of been retweeting um, some of your work, and I thought, oh let's let's have a chat and we use some similar apps so first of all I always like to get my guests to sort of give themselves a little bit of an introduction and get the obligatory plugs out of the way first
1: yeah sure sure um, well online I'm known as I am Stu Little very straightforward um, everyone calls me Stu although it's Stuart Little but I try to sort of distance myself from a certain mouse um I can not
0: confirm but Stu does he, is indeed human he is not a mouse. Yeah.
1: Um literally my nickname for many years in the photographic industry was mouse man so oh dear. I kind of shy away from that if possible. But um yeah so I run a YouTube channel and it's mainly based around mobile video editing using um an app called LumaFusion. And what I try to do with my video editing is to have LumaFusion as a core base for the editing, but not shy away from linking to other apps like Node Video and different tools within these other apps and then bring it back to LumaFusion to complete the edit. So I'm I'm trying to where possible be as mobile as I can and not have to use a laptop or desktop in any way shape or form so literally my equipment now are ipads and iphones
0: fantastic and i think as i have mentioned sort of on twitter and certainly uh, for those who know me know that i do all the audio editing for this podcast on an ipad and i think anyone who says these days that an ipad is not for content creation really hasn't used an ipad properly
1: yeah i would agree with that i mean um, when you see people like um I Justine and um like MK PhD, the, the, they they tend to do videos now and again, whereby they'll use an iPad for a week or two solidly and not use their laptops and that, and they'll always come back to mm, it's nearly there but it's not quite there. It's been there pretty much since two thousand and seventeen, so I mean that's what four or five years now. Yeah. Um, that you had the ability to use the iPad as your main content device. I mean, I literally treat my iPad Pro just like a laptop. About 90% of the time it sits on the magic keyboard and I just run it as if I would run a normal laptop. I've also got the facility that if I want to get creative or even just sit in a couch or go to local Costa Coffee and just chill out on the the sofas there, that I can just lift the iPad pad off the the keyboard and just take it with me and use it for drawing or still editing or anything like that it's just a it's a different vibe working with it um I mean I know now with the new M1 chips that Apple have created that you can now run Lumafusion on a MacBook and that's exciting but like Lumafusion's is very much a touch based video editor And that gives that experience that you just don't get with Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere. And the reason why I found LumaFusion originally was through frustration of using Adobe Premiere and struggling badly with 4K footage and it just grinding to a halt, even with a really fast desktop or laptop um, computer. And I went searching for a video editor, hoping that I could edit something a little bit more fluidly, and that's when I found Lumafusion. And it turned out that I, Lumafusion actually hadn't been a very, uh, around for very long at that point. And I think I was, I joined and downloaded the app and paid for it, and that uh, within the sort of first few months of them actually launching. So I didn't realize actually up until I think last October when I was speaking to the guys from Lumatouch that I was quite an early adopter of the app.
0: And it is it? I mean, is incredibly powerful app? I've you know, I did early episodes of, of my YouTube channel were done on uh LumaFusion. I've done videos for friends and family and in fact during the height of a pandemic I was editing videos uh for, for my local church, for the church I'm a part of. I was helping some of their ministers put together content for the like, well, quote unquote live services um on an iPad. And I, I just find it such wonderful art. But before we dig deeper into LumaFusion, I wanted to sort of jump back a step and talk about how we actually get the footage that we then edit in LumaFusion. And we were sort of talking before the show about um, our iPhones and talk about, you know, experience with, with other cameras. It's really interesting how many filmmakers are now either using their iPhone as a primary camera or as an additional camera, as well as, you know, the more high end gear. Now, If you don't mind me mentioning, as you were saying, but you are now affect you are exclusively using iPhones for your for your shoots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't do that many what you would class professional shoots from the point of view of like commercially making money. I do still do some, but um, because I'm mainly primarily a video editor these days, and obviously um, content creator and sort of lecturer effectively. But when I do go out and shoot, or if I'm doing a documentary, yeah. I just use two iPhones, I've got an iPhone 12 Pro, I've got an iPhone 11 Pro Max, and I just juggle between the two, and as long as you can work within the limitations of the device, then you can get some absolutely amazing footage out of them, but that's the secret to the whole thing, is knowing where the limits are, and staying within the bounds of those limits. If you treat it like a normal DSLR or mirrorless camera, then you're going to run into trouble Uh, very very quickly but if you stick within the bounds of the actual device itself then you can achieve some great work. I mean obviously there's people like Steven Soderbergh who have literally created whole movies on the iPhone now and he very much uses it as a tool for flexibility of getting the shots that he wants for the particular movie he's actually filming at the time He doesn't always stick with the iPhone, and I know there's a lot of other directors are certainly looking at it now, and certainly um, they get used as crash cams, I don't know if you're aware of that term, but disposable, I think is the best way of putting it. So instead of a filmmaker or studio um, risking an Alexa, um, which can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars for one of these cameras, they'll literally use an iPhone because a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars is just totally disposable to them income wise. Um so yeah, it's a very flexible bit of kit and especially with the software like Filmic Pro, but even the built in camera app is very powerful as well. So you just gotta work with it as it
0: is. And that's a really good point. I mean as you said with built in camera app now that we're looking at the thirteen series I'm Uh, I'm shooting on a 13 Pro for the YouTube channel. I've used the new cinematic mode quite a few times, just in the built-in camera app, and it has some challenges. It it, on my device because I've only got the 128 gig, I can only shoot at uh, 1080p in cinematic mode, but it still looks gorgeous. And if you're maybe doing something, you know, if you don't need 4K, then it it looks really good. Filmic Pro has some incredibly powerful features. Um it does have one rather annoying feature for me though as a hearing aid wearer because my hearing aids are or hearing aid is uh, made for iPhone. When I'm recording, Filmic tries to monitor the audio through my hearing aid, it's really quite frustrating. I haven't found a way to um to stop that yet unless I uh, just shoot video only and then do a to sync the audio, do a clap to sync the audio. But um it does have that flexibility. Now, one thing I found is that iPhones can be so much less obtrusive in certain situations. If you're maybe doing, you know, something where you maybe want to do do more of a discreet interview, instead of having a huge camera rig with you, you've got your fairly small little iPhone and there's probably twenty other people in that area shooting or taking photos with an iPhone, you don't look out of place.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've certainly found, not that I've done many documentaries uh, with the iPhone, but when I have done interview-based, talking head-style video, you tend to find the interviewee is a lot more relaxed mm. because they know what a phone is and they don't feel intimidated by it. Whereas if you plop down, I don't know, a red camera, something like that, or even just a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, Sony mirrorless camera or whatever, you know, by the time you actually hook up the camera, then hook up a microphone, and then you might have an external monitor or, you know, monitor slash um recorder like a ninja or something like that. And you know, you've got it on a tripod or you might have it on a slider, it just bulks out so so much more that it can become quite intimidating. Whereas if you have just literally a lapel mic, whether it's wired or wireless, it doesn't really matter. And your iPhone It's just such a small package. I mean, I know certainly I watch closely what the BBC are doing these days, um, and I follow Mark Settle from the BBC, who's, I think, one of their main trainers, and the amount of news capturing that they do now that reaches broadcast 6 o'clock news or 9 o'clock news is phenomenal. I mean, I would say... I mean, Mark would be able to tell you the actual percentage, but it appears to me that a good 70% of what goes on the TV is shot on an iPhone these days. And I've also noticed that they're leveraging uh, cinematic mode for those that have got the iPhone 13 13 Pro as well. So that's a kind of weird but nice thing to see, the background getting knocked out of focus, because you don't usually obviously see that and then use broadcast, and it's certainly interesting to see that. So, yeah, it's it's something, to say the least.
0: And you've got wonderful little bits of hardware. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about audio when we're talking about iPhone videography, but um, I also wanted to just... Uh, I have had the pleasure of using uh, my friend Joel's um, OMB Osmo Mobile 4, um, and at the current price point, which I think is about I think it's about one hundred and forty. For the OM five right now, right? And I just think I've you know I've used this thing. So this is a um, um, gyroscopic gimbal that you can put your iPhone into, and the idea being it will st- obviously more talking to the audience even yourself, obviously Stu, But the idea being it will stabilize your video, and you can do the whole selfie stick thing. Do you, do you see that as something where you know again a BBC reporter might have an OM mobile in selfie mode rather than having to take a whole crew out with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's one guy, Dougal, um, who is more of a, I would say, cameraman slash journalist rather than journalist slash cameraman. I think he came from the sort of, you know, um, large video Betacam side of things years gone back. I could be wrong. But he um, leverages um, the Insta360 um, platform, so he's actually you know, recording 360 degrees but then chooses which f- part to frame up later on. He's using you know, sliders, he's using stabilisers and things like the Osmore. I, I mean, I personally of the, the Zion, um 4, which is sort of sitting behind me here. Oh, nice. um, which I think the Zion 5, the Smooth 5 just came out the other day. Um, and that In itself is really, really nice, especially because it completely syncs with Thalmic Pro, which is is very handy indeed. Um, I've got one of the older Osmos. I think it's the two or the three. I can't remember, Um, but I don't have one of the. I think the latest ones have like you know the ability to um, use MagSafe or have a clamp that magnetically clips on. I believe so. Things like that, and that certainly, you know makes it even more flexible for getting the device on and off. Because one of the things with stabilisers going back the way um, was the fact that you always had to balance it. And the thing with these stabilisers, you've got to be careful of is weight. I mean, it's very easy to over-stress out the motors um, just by having a case on. Adding um, the likes of a Moment lens on or something like that, or a moon dog lens, um, and obviously you've then got to add counterweights, all of a sudden, you know, unless you're using a stabilizer that's more designed for a DSLR, you can quickly overload these things and then they overheat and then they shut down. So as long as you work with it, again, it's like the same with the phone. If you work within the, the, the rules and the bounds and the weight levels that they set for these devices, they're absolutely superb. Um, I mean, the one thing that does show up is that you can spot a stabilised shot is the fact that unless you're really, really, really good at the what they call the ninja walk um, to try and stop the up and down bounce and I'm lousy at it, I'm really, really bad I don't know how I can't do it but I just cannot seem to um, carefully walk slowly enough um, and to make it work for me so I've actually got another device that the Zion attaches to and it's spring loaded and it's a bit like um, a mini Steadicam except it's handheld and that takes out the Z-axis bounce oh, handy. so that's really really good, um, I've used that quite a few times and thankfully I've got it because the company that made them um, went bust.
0: Well that's one we won't be putting in the show notes Ben.
1: <laughs> yeah I was going to say it's not even as if I can recommend it unless somebody else is making them now um, it was like, a, I think it was just like a wee one, small one, two-man outfit. Um, and I've got a funny feeling the stuff was either 3D printed or a combination of press moulded or 3D printed. Um, but they kind of look a wee bit hand-built, even though they do look pro- pretty cool and sort of professionally made. But yeah, they, they don't exist any longer. So, But there are other people you can get. Like, for example, if you're into 3D printing, you can download designs. Um, and Thingiverse and things and different sites where you can print your own sort of Z-axis stabilizer and hook up with springs from Anglepoise lamps and stuff like that so um, Um, there's options there so I use that because I just can't do the Ninja Walk
0: Obviously part of a great video is audio and you know I've always found that the iPhone the iPhone's microphones are, are okay if you're close in and if you're just maybe doing a selfie video or, you know, well, you're not as precious about the audio. But realistically, for, you know, for professional or, you know, good quality video, you need good quality audio. Do you have much experience with sort of using external mics with the iPhone? And, I mean, the, the thing that instantly comes to mind is Rode's, uh Wireless Go 2 pack, um, which, I mean, it's uh, it's about 250 pounds. For the two, so they do the obviously the uh, receiver and then two transmitters, mm-hmm. and they look fantastic for a price. And obviously, good old Road will charge you extra for the lightning cable um, if you don't have a phone. Either you don't have a phone that has uh, a headphone socket, or you don't have the adapter. Yeah, well, what's your thoughts on sort of on mobile audio for particularly for iPhone use? I think it's
1: it's fifty, maybe even sixty percent of the the job. I mean, capturing great video images, imagery in general, is quite easy now. Um, to get it really, really good, you've got to sort of work at it a little bit, you know, in terms of white balance and focus and exposure and making sure that you're, you know, like if you're following a cinematic vibe that you're working let's say 24 frames a second, you're working at one forty. Shutter speed, so therefore that requires then neutral density filters. Got to have good quality neutral density filters and that kind of thing. But when it comes to audio, audio is everything, and it's something that I've started to sort of preach about an awful lot more on my editing, you know, channel Um, because you've got to capture really, really good audio. But not only that, capture audio you wouldn't even realise you've got to capture Mm. to tell a story, and I'm. Getting quite into creating my own foley, which is like literally creating my own sound effects and things like that and saving those bits of audio. And if I have come across a sound that I could use in a video, um, in a future video or whatever, I will actually capture it using my iPhone. And the, the mics that are actually built into the iPhone, if they're used correctly, the mics at the bottom of the phone... They're actually quite Ooh. sophisticated and powerful. They're not to be sneezed at. No, not at all. And certainly um one I mean what I've recently started doing is when I got my my iPod Pro last year, it came with five microphones built into it. The two or three of which are noise cancelling microphones. And then the other two I think are stereo mic. Could be wrong, but something along along those lines. Right. Yeah. So up until about five, six video tutorials before uh, ago, I was just using the iPad Pro's built-in audio. And it was good enough, but there is still a wee bit of reverb because at the end of the day, I don't have my own studio at the moment. I've got literally the back end of my living area, and it's just recently been converted into a little studio. So there's still a... Just the sound you can hear just now, there's a little bit of reverb. It's mm. because there's no... Um, sound panels to you know, absorb the sound on the walls or anything like that and it's something that you can remove to a certain extent in post but um, for the most part it is still there but very recently I've actually started recording my audio externally and I use a Boya lav mic which is wired and I'll tell you why I've used the wired rather than the Rode mic for two yeah. reasons in a second or two It has a preamp built into it, but it also has a lightning jack. So you don't really have to worry about conversion or anything like that. You just plug it straight into your lightning port on your iPhone. So I either use, if I'm filming with the iPhone 11, I'll plug it into that. Like if I'm doing a piece to camera, for example, and that's purely so that if I need to reference my iPhone 12, then I can literally have it in shot with me but sometimes I'll use the iPhone 12. But all of the time now I'm recording to an external iPhone and using a clap to sync the audio with the video. And that's worked out really, really well. And just, I think I've released maybe two or three videos now where I've been using the external audio um, and getting it the way I want it. And it's really, really sounds great. But on top of that, Um, I heartily recommend what I call doing a sound sweep when you're out filming now you could be using a shotgun mic um, a lav mic or just the the mics that are on the phone it's whatever you, you you have to hand and it's to record audio elements separately that you can then bring back into the video later and a good example of that was I did a small short piece about a ringmaker, a jeweller, and they've obviously got all sorts of different noises going on, from the noise of the flame and the gas for, you know, melting bits of um, precious metals, to um, grinders, belt sanders, polishers, you know, little Dremel type devices, all of these things have obviously got their own noises, hand files, and what I did at the end of the shoot was, I got the person to make a noise with every single piece for about ten to fifteen seconds per element, and then I could then use that and loop it later on in post.
0: So you've got a soundscape going on behind yeah. the, the, behind, the vo- behind the voice, behind the narration. It sounds I so t- to, s- say,
1: to simplify that. If you let's say you were filming down in the beach hmm. and and Britain, we have seagulls. We do. So seagulls squawking, um, even motor cars to a certain extent in the background, the sound of the ocean breaking, the sound of somebody walking in sand, capturing these things a little bit closer and then you choosing to introduce elements and take stuff away. Like um, it's, It adds a wealth of quality and it's so easily done. Um, As I say, you don't have to have a road mic set up or the video micro. You can literally just be using your phone. I mean, I was interviewed by a local radio station a few years ago um, about a film I'd made. And it shocked me that I went into the radio station, was surrounded by literally hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of audio recording equipment. And the journalist whipped out our iPhone 7. Mm. And press record. And when I listened back to back on the actual radio the next day when it was on the news, it was a news segment. It sounded great. Oh yeah. And I was like, that is unbelievable. She didn't even, you know, bother with all this equipment around her. She literally just used the mic that was built into the iPhone. And granted, that's in, it wasn't a sound, you know, controlled room. So you know, there was no adverse wind noise or. And everything was dead and down, um, because it was a room where normally a radio presenter would be sitting, um, talking to their audience. But apart from that, it was just an iPhone. And it just it sounded tremendous. And I know, like so Nick Garnett from the BBC, he's forever gone on about using an iPhone as an external microphone. And if you're worried about wind noise, put a sock over it, and that then cures that. Just literally put a sock over it, double it over. And you've got yourself literally a dead cat or a wind sock, whatever you want to call it. And you know you can record the. Um, your heart's content.
0: So we're to- just just to be clear, we're talking about the these bottom mics on. Yeah. So you literally
1: would either side of the, uh, the, lightning, the port. lightning
0: port. That's incredible. I, I've learned something. A sock over the bottom of of the thing, and just point it at who you're interviewing, and get you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Um, Try it, because I've actually got a video tutorial coming out, and it is literally, if I'll just tell you the title of it in a second, it's literally called Try Getting Great Audio Out of Wired Apple EarPods, the iPhone, and Other Budget Devices. I'll probably change the title, but that's its working title That's the, the con,
0: yeah, the concept behind it. I like concept,
1: it. And it's literally, I'm going to be I've got. I've already recorded the Apple AirPods, which I'm using right now. Mm. Um, I'm not a fan of... I've got a pair of AirPods, which are the wireless ones, and they only record mono audio. Yes. And I'm not a fan. They were extremely expensive because they're nearly... Well, I think there's a newer generation now, but um, the quality of the audio that you get off them, it works in a pinch, but it's not great. Whereas the Apple Earpods, which is the wired headphones, mm-hmm. they are even cheaper than they used to be. They used to be about thirty pounds, and then you would pay um, if you got the three point five mil jack version, then you would pay about another eight or nine pounds for an that. Of which I've got loads of these things, but um, they're now less than twenty pounds from Apple, brand new. Ooh. So they've because they don't include headphones with their iPhones now free, they've dramatically reduced Price almost by half. So I tend to have like loads of these kicking about. So the audio you can get off of these is pretty good. And a good example of that is if you, I don't know if you use TikTok or not.
0: I will confess I do not. But, uh,
1: (laughs) well, if you go on TikTok, if you do eventually venture into TikTok, (laughs) you will see an awful lot of TikTok creators literally holding The, the the mic. Yes. Of the mic. Um, rather than having it plugged into your ear like I have, so that the mic's in front of their mouth properly, and the audio sounds really, really good. So yeah, no, the the, the quality of the audio you can get off of um, even the iPads. I mean, oh, yeah. it's not just restricted to the iPhones. I mean, you can do the exact same thing with the iPad, albeit it's a little bit more cumbersome. But you, the, the quality of the audio you can get out of these things is absolutely amazing. So not to be sneezed at at all. No. And it's not that I don't like wireless mics and things like that. I I would love a set of roads, but I can't justify it in the budget at the moment. Like everybody else, the pandemic, you know, killed everybody's finances and savings and stuff. So um, like everybody else, I've got to be careful deciding, you know, what am I spending money on or what I'm not spending money on. But I've always had this Boya wired lav mic, and it's got a 10-metre cable on it. Um, So you can actually stretch it really, really far. And I've used it for interviews and stuff. But I did get sent to me like a Chinese knockoff version of Rode mics. Okay. And tried them out. Quality was lousy. And I never even got a chance to do anything with them in terms of a video because my dog decided to chew them and eat them. Oh, (laughs) joy. Yes, that was fun. And I've got another set of wireless... Mics that were very inexpensive as well, and they work at the two point four gigahertz okay. range that everything uses. They were less than I'm going to say eighty pounds for the two, and you can get them in like three packs. Oh, and wow. this audio quality off of them is actually really, really good. That's,
0: that's encouraging. So, look, you know, obviously I'm I'm one of, uh, you know being a podcaster, and I'm I'm using for for this podcast, I'm using my Blue Yeti Pro, uh, and in fact for the upcoming YouTube videos, this is going to be sort of slung over uh, behind, or not behind, above the camera, out of shot, because it's is such Yeti
1: a... Yeti Pro the one that's like a ball shape?
0: Um, no, it's, it's this thing, I don't know how well you can see it, it is sort of a ball, I All guess. Alright. Yeah. yeah, so this is basically the, the Yeti, but with an XLR output. Right. Um, right. Which, because I'm, you know, obviously got a USB audio interface. That's the one thing, by the way, I'll say about iOS, is that although it's not anywhere near as intuitive as the Mac in terms of um, audio settings, if you plug a USB audio interface into an iPhone, it tends to work. Yeah. Um, and so I could technically plug this Behringer into my iPhone and record direct to camera, but I actually record externally on my Mac and then, as you said, do a clap. So it's really encouraging to hear that you know we're talking as you said these when we talk about crash phones. Cameras, 4K cameras at really good frame rates and cinematic modes, you know, at, You know, less than £1,000. We're we'll talking about being able to get really decent audio off those phones. Now, how much did the Boya um, Lav mic? That was really inexpensive. I think I paid £40 for that. I seem to, yeah, so we'll put a link to that in the show because I seem to remember recommending these to a number of iPhone users you during the trans- pandemic. Versions.
1: There's a clip on it. Ah uh, yes. That's the one that's the one you want. It was about right. forty pounds I think I paid for it. Which is really and, good. And literally I've got it set up with uh my overhead rig is literally an angle I'll send you a link to it because again it's not expensive as well. And it's literally like an angle poised lamp that's actually behind my phone just now. And then there's a clamp on it, and then the clamp's adjustable. It's mm-hmm. almost like a hair.
0: Grip clamp? Oh, I never type you know, of things. it's Something yes, that a yeah. woman
1: would clamp a cl- clipper hair in uh, uh, into a sort of bunch behind. Yeah, not a hair expert. It's kind of like that, and but it's rubberized at the ends, and you can clip any size of phone in. Uh-huh. I'd even go as far as to say it's wide enough that you could probably clamp an iPad Mini into it. Oh, interesting. So it's fully adjustable. But I've actually got the. I use it effectively like a boom mic.
0: Okay, a boom yep. stand
1: for the mic. So I literally have it floating across, and then if I'm doing something whereby the camera's pointing down and doing like an overhead shot, then I'll just obviously take the lav mic off and just clip it to uh, my chest as yeah. normal. Um, but I find that just because I can have it sort of about two or three inches in front of my nose and slightly a uh, sort of eye level, then it's not directly picking up any pops and anything like that yeah. from.
0: And it's not the, rustling off, you, off your shirt, yeah. yeah. All that sort yeah. of stuff.
1: So it's just a, a really clean um, way of working. And I've just got the cable wrapped under the table and sort of stuck on the underside so that I can sort of keep it tucked out of the way, make sure the dog doesn't chew on it, because <laughs> she's famous for that. And I can, I've got different stands at the moment. You're on a little sort of, um, I think they call them UFO pods, but I've got another. Um, stand for my iPhone and they're all in position and it just means I can quickly film now and everything's there for me all I've got to do is just clamp in the phone and plug in the mic and I'm pretty much good to go and I use Filmic Remote to control the device yep. which and is a really
0: cool app um, I take it running really much on the iPad or on another film
1: yeah I mean um, probably 90% of the time I just have it in the background on the the iPad, but I've recently Apple kindly sent me an iPad Air, so I'm actually got two iPads at the moment, and I've had it on that as well. So I've literally had like two iPads around with like dual screens. It's quite fun, no, um know. but that's that's a, a little luxury. It has to go back at some point. <laughs> I don't get to keep it.
0: No, it's a shame. But let so let's loop back to to then. So we've got our footage, we've got our audio. Um, we've got our iPad. Now, I'm on a fourth-gen Air, so the one before this new um, M1-based iPad. And I've had no problems at all editing audio or editing video on this thing. You know, I've been editing 4K on on this last-generation iPad Air. And I guess that's probably where we should talk about is LumaFusion because, well, actually, before we do that, literally yesterday... Apple released their new version of iMovie. Now Apple, correct me if I'm wrong, Apple have not made any noise about Final Cut coming to the iPad. There's no teasers, there's no oh yes, we're gonna be doing it in later this year. There's nothing as far as I'm aware. Well,
1: I think I can say this. Really? I because Apple send me devices to use and play with and things like that, which is really nice of them. I have to do their PR events, okay. which because of COVID, are online. Yeah, I'm just actually looking at the new iMovie just now. I didn't realise you sent me a link to it earlier. I didn't realise it was actually physically launched.
0: Yeah, um, it, I think it launched yesterday. So I, I've downloaded it. It's it's literally
1: and it, it's on my um, device now. I got a demo of this um, about a month or so ago, and there's like magic movie. I think storyboard mm-hmm. and then just normal from scratch, make yep. a movie. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really intrigues me is the storyboard because it lets you pick a situation. For example, if you were doing a DIY video or if you were doing a cooking video or obviously, which is very important these days, makeovers that ladies like to do and sell their um, makeup and things like that online or gaming or whatever. Yep. You choose the theme and you then, let's see, let's see, cooking. It then lets you pick the style, and then it's effectively telling you what shots you need to get. Mm. So it actually storyboards it out for you. So it's a completely different approach to how, like, compared to what LumaFusion's doing. Because LumaFusion is literally, or the company Luma Touch, um Chris and Terry have built out this software, which is absolutely superb, and it's marrying the best of touch technology mm. with the best of a traditional nonlinear editor, but along the lines of Final Cut.
0: Yeah, it's and much more of a, a much more of a traditional NLE in 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 the way the, the tracks are laid out compared with say yeah. iMovie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, so um, that's why, I mean, you've got the likes of, um, you've got VN, which is an interesting sort of video editor, and it's free, but there's ads and things in it. Right. Then, but it's flexible to a point, and then you've got CapCut, and then there's also Velo. I think there's a few other, KineMaster's another one, Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's quite a few out there, But they all don't work the way we as editors need them to work. And that's the way LumaFusion works. And that's why LumaFusion, I would say, is more professional than any other editor. Apart from the fact that if you are still using the likes of Final Cut, you can export the metadata and load the actual content up onto Final Cut. Um, But it's definitely much more flexible in my eyes, working with touch. And the reason why Apple, I don't think, have done Final Cut for iPad, because potentially, if you think about it, if we can take the likes of LumaFusion and run it on a MacBook, there's nothing really to stop no. it going the other way. No, You know, you could effectively run Final Cut on an iPad.
0: Technically, yeah, from a from a code base point of view, absolutely.
1: From a practical point of view of the touch aspects, it becomes extremely difficult, and that's something Apple have. And we know what Apple's like; they don't ever release anything unless they're a hundred percent sure it's got that Apple seal of approval, that little sprinkle of Apple dust, you know. So that's why you know we haven't seen the Senate like. It, up until last September, we didn't have cinematic cinematic video and blurring out video, whereas that's been on Android Android phones for ages. Mm. Yes, I know you've got the likes of um, Focus Live who have been doing it, but just not quite in the same fashion. Um, but it's interesting the way they've released iMovie now, they're taking a different approach. And I think that can only help LumaFusion mm. because it's still not, working in the way a professional editor would want to work. But if you get somebody, for example, who is used to an Avid setup and works in the film industry or is used to Final Cut or Premiere, they can go into LumaFusion and very quickly pull together what they need because it makes sense that there's a logic to it that is similar to Premiere, similar to Final Cut, not the same, but similar. Whereas in the likes of iMovie and that, it's just a completely different vibe. Um but I'm I'm quite keen to try iMovie. I haven't literally I launched it for the first time just a few minutes ago while you're you and I are talking, and I saw a demo of it about a month ago. It does look interesting. And I think to the general public and somebody just wanting to do these things and not have to worry about the technicalities of how these things actually work, it could be interesting. So we'll see what happens with it.
0: I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there because you know for someone like you know I've used Final Cut uh, since the Final Cut Express HD and my Final Cut Express four days and then transitioned to Final Cut Pro ten when that came out. I
1: think that's when I jumped on the Final Cut band. I've always jumped between Adobe Premiere Pro and Final Cut, mm. and that comes out of and I notice um, is it Matty Hapoya YouTuber mm-hmm. video guy. He recently, I think, has gone back to Premiere from Final Cut. You tend to get to a sort of sticking point whereby it frustrates you. And then you jump back to the other software and then you'll use that for a while and then you get to a sticking point and you'll jump back again. There's a few YouTubers who do that. They either switch between Mac and PC or they switch between Premiere and Final Cut. And I guarantee you, within the next 12 months, you'll have another video out saying I'm using Final Cut again or yep. you know, or I'm exclusively using LumaFusion now. You just don't know. Um, but yeah, things like Premiere, Final Cut. I mean, the good thing about Premiere is obviously it links into After Effects. Yes. But After Effects is a whole, you know... Beast. ...Pandora's box, you know, that you um Want to sort of tap into, and the closest thing to After Effects on the iPad is Node Video, which I am still learning, and some of the things you can do with it actually are really really cool. But Premiere is frustrating even now. Editing, I mean, I don't understand anybody that's able to edit for, for uh, like six or eight K footage in Premiere because it's just an absolute slog. Mm. Um, whereas it works with the M1 chip on the iPad. You just literally, I mean, I have a case, two cases behind me here, with rather expensive Lexar SD cards in them, mm-hmm. and I never ever sold them, and I thought I'll keep them, because I mean, they're like 128 gigabyte cards, because oh, yeah. they were used for the Sonys. I thought I'll not get rid of them, because they can be used effectively like little storage devices. Mm. And I looked at them for the first time today, actually, I thought, oh, I remember using them. And it's really weird because I'm not used to my onboard storage on my iPhone and then just airdropping my content over to my iPad. Or in some cases, I'll edit directly on the iPhone. Mm. So, yeah, it's I- iMovie is going to be an interesting one. I think uh, so. Keep an eye on that.
0: And I think it's going to be really helpful for people who are maybe starting off on TikTok, starting off on YouTube Shorts, starting off on YouTube, who've, who've never used NLE and just want to create content. But LumaFusion just has so much power. I mean, uh, and, and as you said, the touch interface, so little things like how you apply the effects and things that actually I find frustrating in Final Cut, like doing a, a pip, doing a picture-in-picture picture move. Yeah. It's so intuitive on LumaFusion. And as you said, it has the ability. Now, it isn't an app purchase. Now, probably should talk pricing on LumaFusion. It is a more professional app. So we're not talking Final Cut pricing. It's not subscription based. Thank you, Luma <laughs> Touch. Really appreciate that. It's um so at the moment UK pricing is thirty-four fifty, thirty-four forty nine for the base app.
1: I think I paid
0: I paid less than 25,
1: that. twenty-five. Yeah. But this was like LumaFusion two point in fact it might even have been one point something. I think I bought Whatever it. A the month, first yeah. proper legit version was that they charged for. That's what I had it at. But yeah, you can um, you buy the software, and then you can buy some of the add-ons. Like, there's a subscription to Storyblocks, which I do use constantly. That has just been such a brilliant thing for me, because I just don't... Just purely down to family circumstances, and like, I educate my mm. son at home, um, rather than him going to school now, because of the pandemic, I just got to the point where I thought I can do a better job myself. Mm. So... He gets educated at home, so I've got responsibilities with that and doing all that kind of stuff. So I don't get to go out and about and shoot as much video as I would like to. So I lean upon using stock footage for my tutorials yeah. more so than um, than ever before. And some of the stuff in Storyblocks is absolutely amazing. Is good. You've also got the ability to um, export, as we spoke before, or to Final Cut. I haven't got that feature. I didn't bother buying that feature because by that point, I no longer had a MacBook, so therefore there was no point in but, having an ability. To but that's it.
0: only tw- that's twenty pounds, and so you know if we if we say that's what fifty five pounds on current pricing, that's still an incredibly if you're looking at a, a reasonably pro level editor, and I think it's absolutely fair to call LumaFusion a, a pro level editor on the iPad. Yeah,
1: I, I would class it as a pro level editor. Yeah. I mean, I, I know plenty of videographers or photojournalists that use it. And they're making money from it, so that's the kind of the definition of of it for me. You know are you doing this professionally? Is it getting used, and you're making money from that then it's pro level editor? you know I and mean, uh, the
0: only reason i'm not using it and and this is more sheer laziness than anything else because there's no reason I can't do this is because of um i've started to learn a little bit of Apple's motion, which is a wonderful alternative to after effects, probably not as powerful. But at its price point, again, that's about £50. It really can do a lot. And I've done...
1: I I, I would actually encourage you to download and learn Node Video. Okay. Because Node Video can do more than motion cam. And, I mean, you can effectively use Node Video as an editor. I wouldn't, but you can. Um, And the reason I say I wouldn't is because the timeline and the way it works is a little bit counterintuitive. You do have your layers, as you would in a normal uh, NLE, um, but I don't know who the developer is. It's a Chinese software firm, but like, so for example, one of the things in LumaFusion, keyboard shortcut, use them all the time, so spacebar, that is basically play-pause. Mm. You know, J K and L is J's reverse, K's normal, L's twice speed. For playback, so they're using the same shortcuts as you'll find in Final Cut and as you'll find in Premiere. So again, that's something that is uh, granted the cutting option like is Command B, but that's you you know it's even in Premiere and in Final Cut they all use a different button, but it's still you know it's one or two buttons to to make a cut. Command B's um,
0: yeah, yeah Command B's the blade tool in um, yeah F- FCP 10. Is it right? Yeah. Right,
1: I couldn't actually have told you that. It's that long since I've used Final Cut now, because I'm on about three years of solidly using using uh, LumaFusion, that I forgot all the shortcuts for uh, Final Cut. But anyway, Node Video doesn't have those features as yet, but they are coming around. They are listening to likes so of people like me, and I've made suggestions to them, and they've implemented those suggestions, and they're getting there with it. But the things that you can do with Node Video. I mean it can be used for color grading. It can obviously be used to video edit. Um they treat it like a video editor, but it's not. You have the full ability to do automatic keyframing. You can it has tracking on it so that you can track objects um, in a three dimensional space. It just has so many features on it that you get in after effects and also get in motion, but it's on an iPad and obviously If you're running even just a normal iPad Pro or iPad Air, it works fine. Mm. If you're running an M1 version, it doesn't even get stressed out. So it's it's a powerful bit of kit. Um, So I would encourage you to download the free version and play with it. And then if it's worth your while, again, it is a subscription, but it's not ridiculously expensive. I think it's like £23 for the year.
0: So yeah, so pro so I'm just looking at bringing out purchases now. So as you said, a year is about twenty two. Monthly yeah. is three pounds. Oh, or they do have a lifetime, which is yeah. um, fifty quid. I was
1: going to say it's either fifty or sixty quid. Yeah. I think it was sixty, and they actually reduced it,
0: which is really good value. So I will definitely try that out. So thank you for that recommendation. And um, as I said, my only reason is you know the integration between Final Cut and Motion. Means that I, you know, for like things like my my outros and my intros to the YouTube stuff, I'd created them as Final Cut titles um, from within Motion. You know, and I don't think, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think either is suggesting that those who have established workflows in Final Cut Pro Ten and are happy with it and are happy with Motion or the same with Premiere and After Effects should suddenly ditch those if they're comfortable. But having LumaFusion Fusion and having no video on an iPad, which you can just carry around with you because, you know, I don't have a laptop. I just have this iMac and this iPad. Mm-hmm. Being able to, you know, if I want to go and shoot, say I'm visiting my family, but I still want to make videos, well, it's no real hardship. As you said, airdropping uh, content, in fact, <laughs> airdropping content is probably faster than trying to connect the light, uh, the lightning cable because, as far as I'm aware, that's still USB 2 on an th- iPhone. I couldn't honestly tell you. I mean, I literally, um, I
1: live on airdrop in terms of transferring um, files and it used to be that if you airdrop a video file from Filmic Pro to your iPad from your iPhone, it did do a conversion, so you weren't getting all the quality. But they've since changed that, I believe. Um, hopefully, I'm right in saying oh, that. No, I think you're in right, that... I
0: think we have. Um... Yeah, so that you're
1: getting the best quality that you've recorded it at, it's not doing any um, sort of conversions to the file in any way, shape, or form. I've certainly not noticed any differences um, from the files, but apart from anything else, I mean, because I've got a really fast Wi-Fi network in the house, like, by the time I've sometimes recorded stuff on my phone and I get to the iPad, the stuff's already transferred across via the Photos apps upload um, because I I use an awful lot of um, iCloud and Files app, Mm -hmm. things like that, I mean... It's very much a solid part of my workflow that um, when I'm recording audio or recording video or screen recording, the stuff always gets backed up yes. to the, the files app in the iCloud. Um, and th- that's become more important now with the iPad Air because with the iPad Pro that I've got in front of me just now, I'm very fortunate in that it's a two terabyte SSD that's inside it. So there's loads of space. I haven't even used up 400 gig on it as yet. So I've still got 1.6 terabytes of free space. Nice. But on the iPad Air, the most they do is 256 gigs. Yes. Yeah. And that is a big, you know, oh, I don't like that. And yes, I've got Samsung SSDs that I can plug into the USB-C and all the rest of it, and I will do that. But I really like just being able to just airdrop across and not have to worry about the space and then backing it up to the cloud. and I pay. I think it's six pounds a month to Apple for like two, two three terabytes. Two terabytes. yeah. I think it's
0: yeah. Uh, I think it's six ninety nine, so it's seven. Is it it's seven, seven but that's one thing I was going to mention is certainly compared with Adobe storage plans and mm-hmm. actually even compared with most other cloud storage providers, Apple's storage prices are really good. So I get my two I stopped using Dropbox for that very reason. Yeah.
1: I was a Dropbox customer from day three of when Dropbox was launched. It just so happened. one of the original software developers was a friend of a friend. I got told about it early, got to play with it in beta and used it from the get go and obviously Dropbox back in the day this was like the mid two thousands early to mid two thousands um, was tremendous but it was. obviously now it's still a really good service, but it, it's overpriced for what you get now. And it's become, you know?
0: certainly their Mac app has become a bloated mess, unfortunately. Whereas, <clears throat> you know, because Apple have that advantage of having a Files app and the fact it's so well tied into iCloud, and obviously for me having, you know, iPhone, iPad and Mac, having everything so I can record, you know, once this podcast is, I stop recording, the files will get downloaded. They get put into a folder in iCloud, syncs to the iPad, and I just edit from there. And you can do the same with the video, as you said, or with the Photos app. One of the other things I love about LumaFusion is if you do have, as you mentioned, a Samsung SSD, um, you know, USB-C on your iPad Pro, they have no qualms with you editing straight from my from external drive.
1: Yeah, and it works extremely well. I've actually tested the iPad Air um, with the SSDs, and I've ran um, three continuous 4K streams and audio, and it hasn't choked. With the M1 iPad here,
0: it just smooth as butter. It really is impressive uh, what they've done with this these, these machines. The fact that, you know, I'm, and I'd I'd be very interested um, to hear from anyone who's used LumaFusion on a, because I'm using this on, I think this is an A14, yeah, it's an A14 in this, uh, but the current base model iPad, yeah, it's not going to be as smooth as an M1.
1: My son's got it and it worked. Really? Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. It can handle like I would say like one or two tracks of 4K, no problem.
0: So again, going back to our whole social media uh, creators, you know, maybe you know we maybe you you know your gamer edits. Well, you're probably only going to end up with maybe one one stream of 4K and probably one of 1080p for your game content, unless you've got an incredibly powerful thing. Now, of course, that's the only thing that you can't do on an iPad right now is. Uh, capture from, there's no iPad capture cards, there's no...
1: I mean you can certainly um, there, there's becoming, I mean the biggest gaming platform out there isn't PlayStation and Xbox, it's iPhone iOS. You can
0: screen capture on, Yeah, You can
1: screen record so there's a quite a large community I mean, like one of the top titles would be PUBG or even Fortnite you can play on mobile. And obviously, you can connect a gaming controller, whether that be Xbox or PS4 gaming controller, Mm. to your iPad now. And, you know, it talks it no problem. There's no lag latency or anything at all um, to worry about. And you can, you know, record as well. And there are apps out there. um, Streamchamp, which I have dabbled with. I've done two live YouTube videos. Where I've actually broadcasted live and it gives you the ability to record the screen or broadcast the screen. Yep. And also, if you've got an iPhone or even a laptop, webcam, or whatever, you can actually have a picture in picture of you wow. at the same time. And that works extremely
0: well. So, again, just going back to what we started, you know, almost circling back, because I'm very much aware that. We've been talking for about an hour, and, and it's been fantastic. Um, circling back to where we started from, anybody saying that an iPad cannot be used for serious content creation needs to go and play with one. They are wonderful devices, and you know what? The pr- I mean, yes, Apple's products are... I don't like the term expensive. They are not cheap, but the value... But is
1: anything cheap these no. days? Because, I mean, you'll pay... The latest Samsung Galaxy's really expensive. Mm. Um the Google Pixel's not cheap. Um I mean, I think you're on to is it the Xiaomi mm. I think are the only ones that you'll get a lot of bang for your buck. Um but you then you get this sort of Android bloatware that comes with any Android phone. And I've got nothing against Android devices. At some point I will invest in an Android phone, just so that I've got the ability to capture video on an Android device and just know what it feels like. Um, is Filmix available for
0: Android as well as um, iOS these days?
1: Yeah, I mean, and LumaFusion's actively being um, built for Android, which is something a year and a half ago they weren't going to do. And they've obviously got to the point where they're thinking, oh, maybe this is actually a good idea after all. And they've got a third-party software developer who specializes in Android building it for them in conjunction with their team. It's a small team. They have, so it'll be interesting to see what LumaFusion... I I think it'll be identical, but whether there'll be any differences. But in terms of... There are some frustrations when it comes to using an iPad. I'll give you an example. If I am, let's say, using the app Mojo... Which is for effectively building it was originally created to build um Instagram stories. Okay. But it's so much more than that now. You can use it for TikTok, YouTube shorts and just video in general. And it has a load of templates and it's got motion graphics built into it and it is tremendous. But if I record a title animation, let's say I do all my titles in Mojo okay. and then I send them across to LumaFusion using the little share and then tapping on LumaFusion. And then it pings it directly into LumaFusion. The one thing I can't do is rename that file. I can rename it once it's in LumaFusion, but I can't rename it in any way, shape or form from Mojo. ah And that's not Mojo's fault. That's actually an iOS thing.
0: There's no way to name a file that you're sharing across via the share... Naming
1: files and batch naming files is very much a missing link in the iPad. You can do it. There are apps, There's an app called File Browser, which you have to pay for. Again, it's one of these things. When we talk about these things, um, like they're not that expensive when you compare it to what you've had to pay for apps and what yeah. you know PCs and Macs before. You know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds for software. It's about Ten or fifteen pounds, I think you pay for this, and that gives you a really nice way of batch renaming. So for example, when I've been shooting stills, because at the end of the day, as much as I'm a filmmaker and video editor mostly these days, my background was photojournalism and photography to start with. So I still use an iPhone to a certain extent, how I would use a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. When I get the files in, I like to rename them. Yep. I like to make sure that they've got you know, a number the date, the job name, and then obviously if they're raw dot raw whatever it is and um or HEIC files or whatever um jpegs and all that kind of stuff. And you can do it in Lightroom, but it's a pain. Because yeah. you've got to effectively get them all in, then you've got to export them all again. You can't export them as the original RAW that they were recorded in, they've got to be DNG. It becomes cumbersome and the file browser gives you the ability to batch rename. So you can do it, but there is a shortfall between the communication and apps of renaming. Now, 90% of people who use an iPad use it for content sort of digestion. Mm. They're watching YouTube, they're watching Disney+, Plus, they're watching Netflix or whatever. But for those of us who treat it like an iPad. We need features like that. We need to be able to go in and rename files and be able to move things around seamlessly. And the, they're getting there, but they're not 100% there yet. But they're closer than they've ever been. I mean, that's a, it's a small niggle. Because once the file's in LumaFusion, I can rename it. Yeah. But if I've got, let's say, nine um, subtitles I now use to set up the chapters, mm-hmm. And YouTube, I'll have a little sort of interlude title, yep. uh, and some of the videos can have up to six, seven, eight, nine of these things. They'll come in as module, module one, module two, module three, module four, module five, so on and so forth. So if I don't rename them, then I just get a pile of Mojos and then you've got to remember right which one is that and pick it. So. You know, if somebody from Apple happens to listen to this podcast at some point, give us the ability to rename our files from within the app. A lot of them do it, but not to the same extent. Um, Or there's a workaround, like for example, Art Studio Pro, which for me is my version of Photoshop. Even though I've got the iPad version of Photoshop on my iPad, it's not Photoshop as I know it. I've used Photoshop since Photoshop came out, Um, back in the 90s, and I'm used to that Photoshop. Art Studio Pro is the closest thing I've got to that style of Photoshop. It works wonderfully, and only recently have they allowed you to control all your files via their little section of the Files app, but it allows for batch renaming and renaming really, really smoothly, and I think the app Photo by Affinity does the same thing as well, um, which I've got but rarely use. Again, it's just preference. It's a really good app but I prefer Art Studio Pro because it works like Photoshop. It uses Photoshop keyboard shortcuts, which I've used for donkey's years, so therefore I like it. But there are certain things Photoshop for iPad does, for example subject selections and really, really you know, find refined selections around here and things like that. Nobody is beating um Adobe for that. You know even now in Lightroom, you can do really specific selections of skies or objects to manipulate them on an individual colour basis or tonally or sharpening or whatever that you could never do before. And there's just only recently I think the guys at Darkroom have introduced that feature in the last couple of days where you can do elliptical or linear or specific subject based selections that you can then you know go in and tweak. That's the only thing the iPad struggles with is things like renaming files. It's silly little things that you take for granted for on a PC or a Mac that you just don't get on an iPad but again it's about working within the limitations. If I, if that's my only complaint about using an iPad, that's a very small complaint. You know, um, you can do so much more with it than ever before.
0: It, it still amazes me how much you can do on an iPad. And, and you've mentioned so many apps, and that's one of the things I love is that the iPad has allowed so many developers to bring wonderful tools to the market that might never have actually come to a desktop operating system because Touch just has that uniqueness. So. Yeah. We will link all the apps that uh, Stu's mentioned, particularly the LumaFusion and Filmic. We'll put links to those in the, uh, into the show notes for this episode. Um, Stu, before we sort of wrap up, because it's been absolutely wonderful chatting, We're obviously we mentioned at the top of the show we're sort of how you can be found, but is there anything in particular you want to promote before we, um, we wrap up?
1: Um, Just come check out my YouTube channel. It's literally youtube.com forward slash, I think C for content or creator or whatever, forward slash. I am Stu Little. Thankfully, all my social medias, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, is I am Stu Little. So I'm quite easy to find on the internet. Um, And I try to, where possible, because I am a small content creator. Um, If somebody asks a question on my YouTube channel or on Twitter or on Instagram, I always reply. And I'm going to try and keep that up as much as possible as the channel grows. Um, I know it gets to a point where you hit maybe 10k, um, it becomes quite difficult to respond to everybody, and I quite like the rule that some content creators like Blair, uh, Blair, Blake at Iphonographers states, and what he does is when he uploads a video and launches it, he usually hangs around for the first half hour, hour of the video mm. being live, and if anyone puts any comments or questions up, you'll answer that and then he might go back to it a day later and answer a few more, but obviously you can't reach everybody because, I mean, on his videos, like, there can be 50, 200, 300, 500 comments, you know, and you would just spend all your time answering comments. You wouldn't get anything done. So, while I'm a small content creator, I'm enjoying the fact that I can interact with people directly, and if they have a suggestion for a video tutorial or a specific technique they want to learn, and I can turn that into a video tutorial, then I've been keen to do that. I've There's quite a few of the videos that are up on my channel, of which I'm at 82 LumaFusion videos. Overall, I'm at 92 videos on the channel. Um, so we're kind of coming towards 100 videos in total. Um, so there's about, I think, 13, 14 hours worth of LumaFusion video editing content up there, if you were to watch it back-to-back.
0: Brilliant. So... so- Stu is literally one of your go-to sources for Luma Reviews and videos. If if you get stuck or you're not quite sure what you're doing, go and check out Stu's content. It, I've I've watched a lot of it, and it, and it is fantastic. So uh, I thank really you. appreciate your time, Joyce, today. Uh, folks, you can find the show notes for this episode over at crosswires.net. You can find our YouTube channel at crosswires.net forward slash YouTube. Uh, thank you very much, Cloud, for those nice page redirects because we're not big enough yet to have a... Vanity URL, so we've got the uh, nice redirect to my domain there. You can email, if you've got any questions at all, to podcast at crosswires.net and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at crosswiresmg. I could not get just crosswires, someone else has already got that, uh, so I thought, oh, I'll try and be a whole Linus, you know, LMG thing. There's absolutely no media group, it is just me. But, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll get there, so uh, sort of thinking, thinking optimistically. Excellent. Well, thank you again Stu and I hope everyone thank yeah, you. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one. Bye bye.